Time now for sports on 104.7 The Cave. Here's Ned Reynolds. Mike the intern, Ned Reynolds in the studio on a Monday morning, a victory Monday, if you will. So Kansas City Chiefs were, what, 12 and a half point favorites going into that game? 12 and a half. Last night, uh, <laughs> colored me shocked, but uh, yeah, I did not expect that type of showing, and I guarantee you I did not expect that win to be on the shoulders of the Kansas City Chiefs defense, but it was. Game was uh, completely reversed from what I thought it would be. I thought Kansas City would pretty much score against this ball club whenever they wanted to. They did not. The Tennessee defense was nothing short of outstanding. They had a very good game plan against Mahomes and company. But yet, having said that, it was Mahomes who made the difference with his scrambling, running out of the pocket, running free will. Guy, he's not, he's not exactly a speedster, but he is really a crafty athlete and a very, very good leader of the team. And therein lies the difference, because Tennessee didn't have that leader out there in the field. Tennessee's offense stagnant. In the first half, it was pretty good. But Malik Willis is a rookie, was unable to uh, unable to really manifest any kind of uh, leadership qualities out there on the field. And he is cursed, as is Tannehill when he's in there, with a very mediocre core of receivers. They're not very good at all dropped a lot of passes, and uh, actually the Chiefs were very fortunate to get a victory from this ball club, 20-17. to You knew when it went to overtime that Kansas City was going to win because Tennessee simply could not mount any kind of offensive attack. It was Derrick Henry or Prey, <laughs> and Derrick Henry can only do so much. If he was on the Chiefs, he would be an absolute terror in the backfield, but with Tennessee, he is their offense. He takes a hell of a beating in there. Speaking of beatings, I'll tell you who else took one last night, too, was Kelsey. My goodness, see, he got blasted a couple of times. One time fell on his neck, and I really feel like that may have affected him because he wasn't quite the Travis Kelsey that he has been in the past. But we'll see what the injury reports have to say. And uh, there was a lot of hard-hitting and a lot of chippy attitude in that game last night. But still the better team won. Kansas City has the superior ball club to Tennessee, even though their records are now one is 5-3. and three. That's Tennessee, and the Chiefs are 6-2. and two. And it's still a long way to go. Heck, that's only eight games through. You have eight more to challenge him. And you got to find a way to win in every single game you play in the NFL. Now, let's get back to this. The Chiefs' defense in the second half were nothing short of outstanding. They held Tennessee to seven yards. And in. it was before, and that's interesting you bring that up, too. It was the Chiefs' defense because they changed their game plan. They decided to put a whole lot more pressure on Willis, knowing fully well that as a rookie, he would be unable to sustain the pressure that they were going to put on. Took a gamble. Now, had and again, you're talking about <laughs> you're talking about intangibles here. But had Ryan Tannehill been in there, that would have been a different story had they done that because he would have found his receivers and would have made good passes. He's a veteran quarterback. You have to have the experience, and Willis does not. Good QB, and he will be in time, but not now. And Kansas City's defense putting a lot of pressure on him. And <laughs> Chris Jones was in the backfield more than Tennessee was. Uh, he was able to disrupt them, as is his game plan, and that's what Kansas City did well last night. Can they do that against a veteran QB? 
probably that doesn't fall into Spagnuolo's game plan. Well, we'll see what happens. But again, it's you face your opponent. You got to do what you got to do at that time. And that's what they did. And I'm glad they made the adjustments because walking off the field at halftime, you could see the look on those defensive players like they were just stunned as to what was happening. But they came together and they helped us get a win. I thought it was just incredible that, you know, Harrison Butker makes the extra point and that field goal. We win the game. It doesn't matter. <clears throat> but he ends up winning the game for us in overtime, so get figure. But let's talk about, I, you know, I know that I, you, you guys call me a homer, and I am, but several weeks ago, Chris Jones literally looks in the direction of a quarterback and says something, gets called for uh, unsportsmanlike conduct. Do you got guys on Tennessee in Mahomes' face? No flag at all. There were so many inconsistent calls on both sides of the ball last night. It was Glad atrocious. You said that because it was not it was, all Tennessee. It was Kansas City was doing their uh, level of talking. And I didn't think the officiating was very good. It didn't make a difference in the game, but it wasn't very good. They let a lot of things get away that might have been called by another crew. That is right. Uh, there was one, and this is against the Chiefs, that wasn't called a blatant interference call late, or I'm not sorry, early in the third period that would have been given uh, Tennessee a first down. No flag on that one at all. But you can you can make arguments both ways. Officiating made no difference, but it was not quote unquote very good. No, it wasn't, and that's all I'm saying is, and I I, I saw it both sides this time, big time. And it's just not consistent. It's just like, God, it, it makes you, it's so frustrating when nothing's working. And then on top of that, the officiating is garbage. <laughs> and you're just like, come on, man. Because that, that penalty against us in Indianapolis, that cost us a game. And now they're not calling it, which is just like, dude, get your head on straight. I don't know. I don't know where they find these guys. They're supposedly really good at their job. But I don't know. How many excuses can you make for an officiating crew over and over and over and over and over again, league-wide? I want to hear your excuses for this too and and there there's a legitimate reason why but kansas city had three chances of getting the two-point conversion i know <laughs> doesn't matter we still did it's like uh janitor willie said in the in the simpsons one time it's not pretty but it'll do so he kind of had a feeling last week after game four in the world series that the astros had the keys to the cadillac and they would be driving off into the sunset with the trophy in the back seat of the car, at least that's how I felt. Do you feel the same way? Well, I called it earlier. <laughs> I know you did. <laughs> Before the series started, I said Houston would win this thing in seven or six. It turned out to be six. And yeah, I'll tell you that the giveaway was Philadelphia's frustration after getting no hit by four pitchers. Uh, that had to really play a psychological role with them because the game before that, they'd hit five home runs. So where is in where in is the difference? And the difference is the pitching. Houston has a better pitching staff than Philadelphia does overall. And you saw that come to the fore, especially in the championship games themselves. Earlier, Philadelphia has a lot of power. And the Phillies, really an interesting team because they are a streak-based team. And that's not going to win for you on a consistent basis. There's the key, consistency. Philadelphia had a losing streak in... Uh, late April, early May, and it cost the manager, Joe Girardi, his job. Came back under the new manager. They won seven, eight, nine in a row on a couple of occasions, and they were hot at the end of the year. But in between, a very streaky team, and you saw that in the playoffs and the World Series. They had some great moments. They really had some down moments. 
consistency wins. Houston had the consistency. Also had one of the top players in baseball, and he kind of flies under the radar a little bit, although he shouldn't, and that's Jeremy Pena, who is the most valuable player of the the, uh, whole World Series. Also the most valuable player of the American League Championship Series, and he is the first individual ever to do that, to win back-to-back in the same year the most valuable player honors. Pena's an interesting story. He's only 25 years old. He was the Astros, I want to say their number three draft choice in 2017 or 2018, somewhere around there. Born in the Dominican Republic, but moved here when he was nine years old and played baseball in one of the great baseball meccas of all the universe, the University of Maine. Can you imagine playing baseball in the late winter and early spring in May in Maine? They got domes up there? Oh, no. No, they're playing outside. <laughs> they're playing with snowshoes. This kid's got to be... And he's from the Dominican Republic? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That's hey, a good pedigree, though, man. You might remember the Springfield Cardinals had a player uh, several years ago. I think his last name was Smith. I'm not sure. But he came from Curacao. Now, Curacao is in the tropics. He played at Maine as well. They must have some kind of recruiting up in Maine. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they just want to see how cold it really can get in the USA. All right. So, you know, it was a good run for your team, though. Better team won. Yeah, they did. I mean, despite their history. And <laughs> we'll move on. Their history, right. I'm just one little footnote. They are the team that got caught. Everybody else. Yeah, that's, that's true. You are right. You are right. But you know what? They still got caught. All right. Um, college football. You know, I, everyone made a big deal, present company included, that gen, that Georgia-Tennessee game really wasn't as great as I thought it was going to be. Honestly, like I've probably seen five to ten better games in the season. But Georgia just said, you know what, Tennessee, we're number one. And now they are. And when the ratings came out last week and I saw Tennessee number one, I said, boy, this is this is a little odd. Georgia hasn't lost any games. And Georgia said, huh, huh, knock us out of there. All right, Tennessee, so long. Tennessee will probably, I'm going to guess this now, the ratings come out tomorrow morning. This is the bowl championship. That's the official poll. I think Tennessee goes to number four. They'll drop from one to four. I can't see them dropping out of the top four. Georgia will go back to number one. Number two is probably going to be Michigan, and I say that because Ohio State was very unimpressive against a Northwestern team that was beaten by Southern Illinois from yeah. the Missouri Valley Conference. Ohio State had had to struggle to beat them 21-7. to Now, they talked about the headwind. Well, that's half the game. The other team has to face the same mm-hmm. thing. 21-7 to the final. Ohio State won the thing. I think that drops them to third. And who will be the uh, number 14? Well, Tennessee will be. So I think, in my opinion, it's going to be Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, and Tennessee. I think that's how it'll go. Uh, as far as some of the other schools are concerned, Clemson, I'll tell you, Clemson's bogus. You, this is the second time in three years they have gone into Notre Dame and played at night as a favorite team and gotten beaten. First time was an overtime. This one was a hammering. Oh, Notre yeah, Dame it was done. To him, 35-14. to 14. Clemson never really in the ballgame. Uh, so I think that drops the Tigers way down there. Alabama. Uh, Alabama's probably out of the top ten. And it's, <laughs> you think about this, they've lost two games by a total of four points. Four points. One to Tennessee by a field goal. And this one to LSU by a two-point conversion in overtime. Boy, that's a, that is a tough way to go, but that's how the college football rankings work. 
So, Will, I think we'll see a big shift in the uh, top teams in the country starting tomorrow. Uh, AP Bowl is pretty close to what you said. You didn't bring up TCU, which I think should definitely. Number five. Yeah, well, it, you're close. AP's got Georgia 1, Ohio State at 2, which I think is garbage. That's no that, that, that's Michigan, <laughs> Garbage. Uh, Michigan at 3, which eh, TCU 4, and Tennessee at 5. They don't even have, uh, oh no, Alabama's at, at 10. Isn't that crazy? They got Alabama at 10. When was the last time that happened? Well, again, their losses total four points. Yeah. And they've all been, in in a sense, of the fluke variety. Against Tennessee, they lost by a field goal in overtime. And in this one, they lose to LSU by a two-point conversion. Those are fluke. Alabama's still a damn good team. Don't, don't sell them short. They're not going to be probably in the championship because they have lost twice. But they're still the Crimson Tide. Uh, and you know what? As much as they've you know had my K State's number for years, it's really nice to see a Big Twelve in the, possibly in the top five going into the playoffs. We'll see what happens. I know K State won't be there, but at the same time, there's still plenty of football left to be played. So, and it changes all the time. We're going to be shuffling that deck at least one more time before that starts stuff starts getting handed down. All right, college basketball begins tonight here in town. We're past the exhibition. Is that right? Correct. We started off tonight, and it's across the country as well. A lot of lot of major teams are opening up tonight against uh, really pud opponents, but <laughs> that's not the case with the Lady Bears. Missouri State opens their season tonight at the Great Southern Bank Arena, and their first opponent is Mizzou. And this is really a great way to open up the season. Neighborhood rivalry, second year in a row that Missouri has played down here. Last year when they were here, Missouri State. Handed it to them. I mean, beat the devil out of that bunch. All right, what happens this time? There are two very, very good area players who are playing for the uh, Lady Tigers. But nonetheless, seven. Uh, I'm sorry, six o'clock. Six o'clock starting time for Missouri State versus Mizzou, and that's tonight. The Bears open up their season on Wednesday night, and they're opening up with a Division II team, Missouri S&T from Rolla. That is part of the regular schedule, and the game does count. That's the way the NCAA works things. You have one game against a D2 team or whomever, and it will count. It won't count for Missouri S&T, interestingly enough. It's an exhibition for them. That game will be at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and it is the season opener. They're on in. Everything else is D1, and it'll be it'll be pretty tough. The Bears played an exhibition game on Saturday night against Kansas Newman, which is a D2 team out of the MIAA conference, and beat them by 20, 78-58, before a crowd of a few friends and neighbors. But be that as it may, was an exhibition win. First time these 14 guys who were all new have gotten together and played a full game before the public. They well, played it's nice some to see that you've, you've uh, traded in your baseball cleats for some Chuck Taylors and you're ready for another season of college basketball. I can't jump that high. Yeah, that's what he says. <laughs> but then he gets you on the court and he dunks right on top of you, Ned. I'll see you tomorrow, That'll sir. That'll be the day.